If you don't think of yourself as a salesperson, think of yourself as someone who's actually going to help the person in front of you. And if that turns into a sale for you, great. If it doesn't, it's okay. And you move on to the next one. You'll just have a better life. You'll sleep better. You'll feel better. And trust me, you'll sell more. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. I'm your host, Taylor Lodes, and today our guest is Alan Langer. Today, we're talking about the number one skill that real estate investors can have in order to do more deals, negotiate better deals, and just get more done in real estate. That skill is the ability to sell, the knowledge of how to close a deal, how to negotiate to the point where both parties are happy, and everything around just making deals happen boils down to the ability to sell. If you're not a salesperson now, or you're maybe not sold on that idea, hang with us. You're going to get convinced as to why the ability to sell is so important to real estate investors. And not just that, we're going to dig into keys around how to improve your sales and negotiation strategies. Sales is a key part of anyone's life. Even if you don't think you're a salesperson now, it's true. You spend time working with other people in your daily life, whether it's at your job or with your family or relatives or people at the gym. In subtle ways, you're selling yourself, selling your ideas in those situations. Those are opportunities to practice the skill of selling so that you can ramp it up in your real estate investing. Today, Alan's going to teach you a few very important key strategies and tools to improve your ability to sell. Love it. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor, and I focus on multifamily and self-storage investing. If you'd like to learn more about potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form, schedule a call, and I will look forward to speaking with you soon. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Once again, our guest today is Alan Langer. We're digging into the number one skill that real estate investors need to do more deals. Let's go. Alan, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm excited to talk about what I think is the number one most undervalued skill amongst real estate investors, which is sales. But before we dive into the knowledge, can you tell us a bit about yourself, your business, and your background? Yeah, sure. So thanks, Taylor. So I've been in sales well over 25 years, was the number one sales rep at Anderson Windows for over a decade when I was there, a writer at heart. I got challenged one day. Someone told me, my boss actually told me in my office that what I did was not teachable, that I was just naturally talented and I couldn't teach anything. So I took that to heart and I wrote a book about how to sell better and it became a bestseller on Amazon. And I took that and it was sort of like the start of my second chapter of my next journey. So I I got into sales consulting, sales coaching, training, and public speaking. And I've been doing that now for a little over four years. Love every second of it. Been on podcasts. And my whole concept is very simple. It's sales is not rocket science. Everyone wants to make sales like this super technical thing. And my concept is very simple. If, if you lead with helping and, and not selling, you're going to be a more successful salesperson, whether you're trying to sell something or trying to talk your kid into going to bed. It's all the same. Once they feel like you're trying to coerce them, going to have a harder time selling. So, Absolutely. So we talked about this a bit before we started recording, but I think we should really lay some groundwork here and talk about why sales skills are important for real estate investors in particular, because folks might be tempted to think, 
hey, I'm just buying real estate deals. What do I need to be able to sell or, hey, negotiate with somebody right. for? So can you tell us like why those skills are so important, particularly for real estate investors? Well, I mean, I think in general, we sell every single day, whether we think we do or not. I, even before I got into sales, my best friend who was in sales, and I wasn't in sales at the time, this was almost 30 years ago, told me, why don't you get into sales? And I said, sales? I said, who the hell wants to be a salesman? And I think it's the same. I think it's that mindset. When you need to speak to someone and have a conversation and you need to persuade them or influence them a certain way, like maybe you are negotiating a deal for real estate, you need to know psychologically how the brain works and what their body language looks like. You can't just plow through something and think that people are going to tilt in the direction you need them to. So, so I guess for real estate people, when I talk to realtors, whether they're investors or residential realtors or commercial realtors, they're in the business of influencing whether they get the listing, whether they're negotiating to buy, the, buy it for a million or 900,000. It's all about human connection. And people are going to make a deal with someone that they like, who listens to them. And as a real estate person, if your person you're speaking to feels heard and understood, you're going to have a better, an easier time closing that deal or getting to the point that you need to get to in that conversation. So what is the best way, this is a pretty open-ended question, to help someone feel heard and understood? You just said the magic three words, open-ended questions. The absolute best way. See, in a sales situation, in a selling scenario, I like to say every sales conversation has two islands. You always start, you start the conversation on ask, listen, and understand island. That's where you are with your prospect. I call it ALU island. You are not allowed to go to sell me island. Number two is sell me island until the prospect gives you permission to do so. And the only time the prospect will say, come on over and sell me is when you ask enough open-ended questions. The problem with most sales reps or anyone that's in any negotiating situation is as soon as they hear the problem or as soon as they hear something, they want to solve it right away and they start selling. So for example, Taylor, you said to me, we meet to talk about my new widget. And you say to me, well, Alan, my widgets are so old, they don't work anymore. I immediately say, well, Taylor, you got to see these new, these brand new green widgets I have. They're unbelievable. They do this and this. I started selling you right away. Whereas when you say, Alan, my widgets don't work anymore, I would say, tell me more about that, Taylor, and then shut up. I just asked you an open-ended question. You're going to say, well, they don't do this and they don't do that. Well, explain to me what you mean by that. And I ask another open-ended question and always ask, follow up their answer with another open-ended question that is based on what they said. And then all of a sudden, you'll know when those open-ended questions are exhausted. Now they're going to be like, I want to hear your solution. They're going to feel so understood. They're going to give you the permission. They're going to open up the drawbridge arm and say, come on over to Sell Me Island and I'm ready for you to, for, I'm ready to listen to you. That's the concept. Okay. So we want to move in this analogy, we want to move over to Sell Me Island and wait for the permission to head over there. But should we expect that to come in the form of a, an engraved invitation, as they say? Like, what are some ways that we can know, okay, it's time to work on sailing across to the other island? How can we know or be able to tell that the other person is ready to move on to that part of the conversation? It's a great question and it just takes practice and you'll kind of just start to feel it and know it based on the conversation because obviously you can ask, let's say you answer the question, I ask another opening question and let's say I do three or four open-ended questions. At some point, 
you're going to stop it. Then it would get silly if you keep asking the kind of the same open-ended question. So, but if I could say, here's this one specific thing that tells you to do, that doesn't exist. <laughs> but what will happen is as you just keep doing this, you'll just know to the point where you say, well, Taylor, this sounds great. Are you ready to hear a way that I can solve this problem for you? And they're going to say yes. So you kind of let them get to the point where they feel, man, this guy really listened to me. He really understands why I want to sell this piece of property. And now he's asking me to show me what he can do for me. I'm going to say, absolutely. So I always say, get to the point where you feel like it's appropriate and then ask him, is it okay for me to solve your problem now? Nice. That would be the best thing. Asking for that permission. You've also mentioned, or we've touched on body language, which is something that I'm not sure that I don't know how good of a handle personally I have on that topic. And I'm very curious to hear about just your ideas around body language and how people who are engaging in a sales situation can utilize body language to better understand the person that they're trying to sell or negotiate. Yeah, I actually, one of the courses and the talks that I give quite often is called The Art of Understanding Body Language in Sales, or I do it for leadership or I do it for negotiation. Essentially, it's all the same thing. It's really paying attention. There were studies done that they asked, I forget how many sales reps, do you pay attention to body language in a sales situation? And the reps that said no, the national closing percentage or the closing percentage of those reps reps that said no closed about 22% of their deals. The reps that actually admitted that, yes, I actively pay attention to body language during a sales call went up to 43%, almost double. If there's any indicator, it's that, that you can't just have a conversation without paying attention to body language. See, what most reps do and most, I mean, it could be real estate people, it could be leadership people, it could be management. They're talking to someone, they're doing their demo, they're trying to sell, they're trying to negotiate, and something happens in front of them. Are you investing in real estate passively, but don't know what red flags to look for? Well, we've got the answer for you, a free seven-day video course on red flags in passive real estate investing that you can get right now by going to PassiveRealEstateCourse.com. Seven days, seven videos, seven red flags in passive real estate investing. Check it out, PassiveRealEstateCourse.com. Now back to the show. A pursed lip, a scratched ear, a rub behind the neck, something like that. They, They process it but they ignore and they just keep going. And the equivalent of that, if someone pursing lips is a great example. I'll give you a very small example. If someone purses their lips in front of you, you absolutely have to stop and find out what's happening. It's literally like this. like it can, It's a half a second. If hmm. somebody does that, they don't like what they just heard or saw. And if you just keep plowing through, it's like they threw a rock at your forehead and you're bleeding and you don't even notice it. That's what it's like. And you're not going to close that sale. You're not going to close that deal because they said something that you said something that they didn't like. And there's a myriad of things you can look for. But the, the term I use when I'm giving this talk is the famous TSA slogan, which is now everybody knows, if you see something, say something. You ever hear of that? It's the same mm-hmm. thing in body language. If you see something, what's his name who wrote the book, Never Split the Difference? Chris Chris Voss. Chris Got Voss. right here. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. He calls it labeling. When you see something, label it. Seems like, hey, Taylor, seems like you're not understanding what I just said. Is that, am I making sense? Just be very casual about it. But if I saw you purse your lips, I would actually pause the conversation and say, 
Taylor, how's everything sound so far? Everything sound good so far? And then the reason why you purse your lips, you might tell me then. Well, actually, you just said something else that has nothing to do with what we're looking for. Oh, I'm glad you said that, Taylor. And you're going to go on. And when you see something and you label it and you bring it up to the person in a casual conversational way, they feel understood. They feel like, oh, this guy's really listening to me. So it goes hand in hand with asking open-ended questions. But if you ignore body language, you are destined to just uh, be average because you're just missing so many tells that are going to help you uh, have a better conversation and eventually close more deals. Awesome. So your book is The Seven Secrets to Selling More by Selling Less. Now, obviously, we want to sell more no matter what we're doing. We want to close more deals, whatever you're talking about. But that end part of by selling less, what does that mean? Because people don't want to feel like they're being sold, but also... I mean, we don't really want to feel like we're selling and pitching something too hard, right? We just want to close deals and move on with our lives and solve problems, but we don't want to feel like icky salespeople. So when you say by selling less, what do you mean? Well, it goes back to, so the the very first page of the book is I I did a study. When I started writing the book, I did a study. I wrote my entire book in a coffee shop in East Greenwich, Rhode Island. And I spent about two weeks asking everyone that walked in the door, I said to them, can I ask you a question? And they said, sure. I said, do you like meeting with or talking with a salesperson? And I stopped at, I think, 261 people and every single one of them, there was not one person <laughs> that said yes. Everyone said no. And majority, it wasn't even like a, a casual, oh no, not really. It was like, hell no. It was like emphatic. I don't ever want to meet with a salesperson. And that is fascinating to me because that's how the world, go around. P- world, world goes around. People sell to other people, but nobody wants to meet with the salesperson. So it's this crazy conundrum that we deal with. And it's because the training has been so bad. It's all about closing, being closed, high pressure, all the stuff that's been training. And really, when I became successful in selling, it's when I started ignoring the corporate sales training that I got. And I started focusing on how does the brain work? What does body language do? What do people really want to feel comfortable about? And I started becoming what I call the anti-salesperson, the person that they're not expecting. And as soon as you meet that salesperson, we've all been there. We meet a hundred salespeople and 98 of them are awful. But the two that aren't, the two that actually listen that we liked, what happens? We talk about them forever. We love, you gotta, you gotta talk to this car salesman. He's not the typical car salesman that you're used to, right? You meet the car mechanic who's honest. You're like, you gotta go to this car mechanic. This guy's going to treat you right. As opposed to all the other ones that are, you know, the perpetuation of the ripoff car auto mechanic. So it's all that perception that the salespeople are in it for themselves. So what I say, sell less, is just go there and help them. I'm just, I would start every single conversation with, I'm not here to give you any sales demonstration. How can I help you? Right there, the walls went down. And then just a basic conversation without any sales demonstration, unless they wanted one. It was all about the customer leading the conversation in a way where they felt like they were in control of it. And then at the end, it's like, you ready to move forward? And usually it was a yes. But if you do A, B, C, D, follow the script and everything, people smell that from a mile away. Their walls go up and they're like, okay, great. I got to think about it. And then you're, and then you're dead. So for those out there who are listening, who invest in real estate or want to invest in real estate, but they're not sold. They're not convinced, if you will, (laughs) on the importance of sales skills. They don't see that negotiation, doing anything really boils down to making a sale. They don't really perceive that they're going to be salespeople. 
how can we dispel that and, and convince them that our lives are selling? They're selling ourselves. I sold my wife on marrying me, right? I mean, that's probably the most important sale of my life. And I think <laughs> folks out there can relate to that. But how do you get past that, like that through that like ickiness objection when training people about selling? Yeah, it, it's a definite real thing. It's so many sales reps. It's actually one of the highest, I think, I forget what the number one was, but it's number two or three, the highest turnover profession in the world is sales because most of the time people are trained poorly and they're not successful and they feel they feel icky. That's a great word for it. They're like, ah, I feel like a salesperson. I don't want to follow the script. I don't feel human. And my answer to that is if buy my book, <laughs> but if you, if you find a process that you're comfortable with, that you feel like a normal person, try to follow that process. There's more and more coming out. There's more people like me out there training like the anti-sales, the anti-pressure kind of sales, the anti-ickiness and really leading with serving and helping. Because once you do that, if you don't think of yourself as a salesperson, think of yourself as someone who's actually going to help the person in front of you. And if that turns into a sale for you, great. If it doesn't, it's okay. And you move on to the next one. You'll just have a better life. You'll sleep better. You'll feel better. And believe me, trust me, you'll sell more. You sell more doing that than you do trying to be the salesperson and follow these ridiculous techniques that have been, that have been trained for years and years. <laughs> I've sat in some pretty painful sales education seminars for real estate investors, but regarding the kind of, for want of a better term, old timey sales trainings, one of the classics is how to win friends and influence people. Not a sales specific book, but pretty sales uh, adjacent. What's your opinion of that book in particular, but you know things along those lines that are old, do you think they're outdated or do you think they're timeless? No, I think they're outdated because, and I talk about this in my book quite a bit, prior to the advent of the internet, when Al Gore in, in, invented the internet, prior <laughs> to that, the, the, the sales rep was in charge. And that's when those tactics and techniques worked fine. Because think about it, when you went to buy a car in the 80s, your only source of information was probably a magazine or word of mouth or maybe a TV ad. There was no internet. You couldn't figure out. So you had to go and deal with the car salesman's pressure, try to understand them. But that was in anything. You'd go into a, in, into a department store, anywhere you had the salesperson, a mattress store, I mean, the furniture, like, oh my God, how awful are those experiences? But <laughs> you had no information in front of you. Now the internet comes out and the balance of power has shifted over to the prospect, to the customer, to the consumer. And now everyone gathers what I call uh, informational ammunition. So you can literally build your car online right now, right down to the lug nuts. And you walk in with that sheet of paper and you look at the sales rep and say, this is what I want. Don't talk to me. And they're going to get you that car and the deal is done. You don't have that power anymore as the sales rep to influence them and to persuade them to stuff that they didn't understand. Now, most people, I think it's 96% of people start their buying journey, whatever it is online, which means they're researching you. They're Googling you. They have all this information in front of them. You just have to be now the advisor. You have to be the one that you're going to, you want to work with me because I'm really good to work with because I listen to you because I know you already have all the information. What else can I tell you about the information that you have? And now you become the advisor rather than the salesperson. So those tactics that were taught, the always be closing, ABC, the funnels, the, the follow the submarine, there's all the, I mean, there was a million of them. All the closing techniques don't work anymore because everyone has as much information in front of them as, as possible. So it's about the relationship. It's about them liking you and trusting you and asking great questions 
because they will tell you what more information they want to hear at that point because they've already done their research. Awesome. Awesome. I love it. I think of so many great examples of or difficult examples of when I, somebody tried to close me a few times recently and I just completely hated it. So I'm glad to hear that these new revised strategies, if you will, are more effective and it's just, it just stinks to get closed. But anyway, right now we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Are you looking for a way to easily track your rental property finances? Check out Stessa. Stessa makes managing real estate investments simple. You can easily keep track of the performance, finances, and the paper trail of your rental properties. Our listeners can get started for free and then upgrade at any time to unlock their more advanced tools. And the even better news is that the upgrade is very affordable and will not break your bank. Smart investors know that tracking the numbers, tracking the money, tracking the finances is what really drives your success. Check out Stessa. It'll make your property finances easier. Just go to escapingwallstreet.com, scroll down to the Stessa logo, and get started for free. Now back to the show. All right, Alan, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? I'm ready. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? I would say it's relationships. COVID, I'll tell you a quick story. When COVID happened, it was March 13th of 2020 in Rhode Island, we had the shutdown. And this was literally, I think the next day I had an, a literal aha shower moment where everyone was freaking out. Nobody knew what was going to happen. I, all the appoint I had eight speaking gigs all canceled. Everything all happened. And it dawned on me that the phrase, we have to hit the play button right now, not the pause button popped into my head. And the next day I contacted like four or five of my professional friends on LinkedIn and a couple in Rhode Island. And I said, let's just meet once a week to support each other while this is happening. Because at the end of the day, the relationships we build through this are going to be, are going to be what, be what matters. And that little group, I called it the play, don't pause networking group grew to over 150 members in three years and went international. And I finally had to stop it because it was so much work, but that investment that I made every single week was priceless because now I have so many professional friends. My LinkedIn following grew to 14,000 people, and it was because I made the investment of in relationships rather than uh, anything else. So that would be my advice there. I love that. I love that. So we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst <laughs> investment you ever made? When I saw that question, the first thing that popped in my head, I know this has nothing to do with real estate from a business standpoint. I always had an entrepreneurial spirit, but I got sucked into the Amway funnel <laughs> and I invested <laughs> into, into <laughs> I mean, this was years ago, but I invested into multi-level marketing and Amway was the first one. And I forget what it cost me to get in, but what a waste of money that was. I still have nightmares about that. And it's funny how multi-level marketing has sort of evolved since then. And I've actually done some sales training with multi-level marketers, the legitimate ones. But I remember in my 20s almost crying because I just wasted all that money joining. And I remember the two guys in their three-piece suits in my kitchen table selling me on Anway. It was just, oh, it was so bad. It was like Glenn Glary, Gen Ross. It was so bad. And so that was the probably the worst investment I ever made. <laughs> That's rough, but sometimes the lessons are priceless. And that brings me to my favorite question here at the end of the show. What is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? I would say I keep coming back to this. When I do my training, one of the things I focus on a lot is time management. 
I think time management is so critical. And one thing for me that I learned three years ago that was an absolute game changer, some people may do it, your listeners, but for those who don't, everyone always has a to-do list on their desk. So they have 20 things and, and then they have their calendar. So they have the calendar with their appointments and their to-do list. And everybody looks at their to-do list and gets anxiety, right? So let's say you write down, let's say you're a really good organized person. And on a Sunday night, you write down the 20 things you have to do that week. But Monday comes and you get five things done and you're kind of jumping around the page and you don't know which one, but you get five things done. You go to bed Monday night feeling like crap because you still have 15 things left to do. So here's how to figure this out and make yourself feel better. Take your to-do lists and put them on your calendar as appointments. So if you have to send a proposal one day, don't just write, I got to send a proposal, put it on Monday morning at 10 o'clock from 10 to 11. I'm sending this proposal. That does two things. It blocks you out. So you don't get interrupted. And two, it gets the job done. Then you're done with that. You cross it off. And, but what you do is you schedule your entire week. So put all 20 things on your week calendar with your priorities, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, as they go through. And what happens is now Monday, you did your five things and you're done. Let's say you get them done by two o'clock in the afternoon. You don't have to worry about number six because it's on Tuesday. You get to bed feeling great about yourself because you accomplish those five things on your calendar. So move your to-do list to your calendar, turn them into appointments, turn them a different color. I do it every single week and it's been an absolute game changer for me because I always get my to-do list done for the most part. And I feel better because I don't have a to-do list staring at me all week, giving me anxiety. I love that. It's funny. I have, I have a dual monitor recording set up here. And on my left monitor, I have my calendar. And then to the right of me on my desk, I have a clipboard with my to-do list on it. There so I go. might need to take that <laughs> advice. And Alan, I want to thank you so much for joining us today and sharing all of this knowledge. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch, if they want to learn more about what you're up to, if they want to find your book, anything like that, where can they track you down? Yeah, it's very simple. Go to my website. It's allanger.com. So it's A-L-L-A-N-G-E-R.com. You get my book, my podcast, uh, anything, all my links are there. Awesome. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye. <laughs>